Hey, welcome back. And hello to all of our listeners across the globe. I was looking this morning at where our listeners are based, and we have people listening from obviously Australia, but from the US, Netherlands, UK, Papua New Guinea, New Zealand, Switzerland, Hungary, Finland, Canada, Kenya, Indonesia, Spain, Fiji, Ireland, Cyprus, Germany, Belgium, Nigeria, Sweden, Singapore, Thailand, Ukraine, Zambia, Egypt, Hong Kong, India, Pakistan, and South Africa. It's uh, fantastic to see that uh, God's testimony is getting out there all over the world. In this episode, our guest host, Simon from Western Australia, interviews Dan from our Medway Fellowship in the United Kingdom. Dan tells how he was healed from a fractured vertebrae, which, until he was healed by God, caused him serious pain, especially given he did a physical job as a plumber. He also talks of an incident that many of us never want to experience, a major incident on a plane when he was travelling to Australia. Happy listening. Welcome, listeners. Uh, We're in Bustleton, actually, down at our... Revival Fellowship campsite and uh, we're sitting outside a tent just to set the scene. There's some slight wind going around, there may be a few little noises from children elsewhere, but I'm sure that'll just uh, set the mood for you. Joined here by Dan from which assembly are you from, Dan? Yeah, from Medway. England. Medway in yeah. England. Yeah. Um, and Dan's here to share his testimony today, a bit of a story which I won't spoil. I'll let him get into that a bit later, but maybe before that, we'll just hear. How did you come to know God, Dan, and yeah, where, where did it all start for you? Yeah, well, um, I had a kind of a, a belief in, in something when I was a kid, and um, I used to go to church, Sunday school, that sort of thing, but um, kind of lost touch of anything uh, to do with God or a church or anything like that as I sort of got to my teenage kind of years, you know, and um, yeah, so being a plumber, I was doing a job for a man one day, and uh, he and a few other people had sold their, their houses and moved to, to Medway from London and I think somewhere else, um, maybe Essex. So, yeah, this man had sort of sold all his possessions and bought this uh, this place down in the Medway towns. And being a sort of man who kind of wanted to know what if there was any message in the Bible or if there was a, uh, you know, a God that could sort of change my life, um, I went to this man's house with a kind of like an idea that he was uh, he was something that had someone you know somebody had something to say, and uh, so yeah, spent a bit of time there. He opened the Bible up to me quite quickly, and he showed me um, John chapter three verse five in the Bible, and for me it was something that um, yeah I've never ever seen before. A sort of clear message that was in the Bible about um, yeah being born again, and the only way to enter into the kingdom of God was being born again and receiving the Holy Spirit. And he explained to me when I received the Holy Spirit that I'd speak in tongues. And uh, baptism was uh, by full immersion that was in the Bible. And so I kind of knew about baptism. And um, I had a, a bit of a knowledge of people speaking in tongues. But I never knew that that was, that, was, uh, you know, that was what I needed to do in the Bible to be saved. And so um, when I read this scripture, I was completely convicted. And I knew that that's what, uh, that's what I needed to do. So uh, eventually I did, um, I did get baptised. Um, I was uh, I was suffering from a, f- a fractured vertebrae in my neck that I'd suffered for for maybe six or seven years. Uh, I had that happen to me when I had a car accident, and it was seriously painful. And when I was baptised, amazingly, it was completely healed, and that really convicted me that um, that God was actually doing something here with me. And uh, went back to a meeting, and 
yeah, someone prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit and I very clearly spoke in tongues, just spoke in tongues. I knew that my experience I could find in the Bible that people were baptised, people received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues and what happened to people in the New Testament 2,000 years ago or so happened to me as well. So I could clearly see that I'd been, uh, I had that experience that the Bible talks about and I, f- I knew salvation. So you were in the baptism tank, came out of the baptism tank, you hadn't even received the spirit yet or, or and spoken in tongues at all when you were healed from yep. your fractured vertebrae. That's right, yeah. Yep. Well yep. what was that what was that like? I mean, you must have were you able to move your neck much beforehand or was it just an intense pain and then just no pain or Yeah, well so um I'd seen chiropractors and also psychologists as well to try and straighten my, my head out because with pain comes fear of the future as well and um, adjustment disorders and all that sort of thing because you have to adjust to the fact that you can't do the things you used to do and so I was a little bit depressed and that sort of thing so uh, what would be is I would being a plumber sometimes my work would force me to go into areas that are a bit tight it'd be very difficult for me because my neck was always always stiff and there was always this nagging pain in my spine all the time and sometimes I'd move a bit wrong or there'd be something I'd stretch for and this pinch would happen and um, the nerves would tense up and it would be absolute agony for I don't know, maybe two or three weeks I'll be in serious agony and I have to kind of relax and try and uh, see an osteopath and work this pain out my out my neck. I remember once I spent about, um, yeah, I spent a whole day in a hospital and they couldn't work out what to do with me. You know, there was so much pain going through my body and, uh, yeah, there was nothing they could nothing they could do. So, yeah, it was it was seriously painful when it, when it actually and then, pinched. And just coming out of the tank, you were praying for spirit and then you just that pain instantly left well yeah coming out of the tank I I was very happy that I was able to do something that God had asked me to do mm. and so actually the the happiness that um, I felt from being baptised um, I didn't even realise that I'd been healed and I just was so happy to be you know something that I'd be involved in something that's made a difference in my life and I woke up next morning and that's when I realised that the, uh, the pain wasn't there anymore because I used to have to kind of uh, roll out of bed and then shuffle myself up the wall to stand up out of bed. But this morning I woke up, I sat up, and I remember thinking, well, something's wrong, there's no pain. Huh. And that was it, that's when I realised the next morning. Awesome. Mm. And then how long after that was it when you actually received the Holy Spirit? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks, yeah, two weeks later. Yeah, it was in a meeting. It's amazing, like people think uh, there's a sometimes a bit of a false perception out there that... Uh, you have to have received the Holy Spirit for God to, to work in your life, but God says that He'll answer anyone at any time, no matter what, and that that proves that. And I think that's yeah, that's cool. And perhaps God put that in in that order to convict you, as you said, to wow, yeah, I want, I'm going to strive to. I've done half the you know God's done half the work for me here. I really want to put my half in, receive the Holy Spirit, and put the effort in so that he, He'll give it to you. That's yep, yep. So yeah, was that's there, what it felt like. Yeah, much of a change in your life after that then, was there? Or? Well, yeah, there was, you know, my life was pretty um, yeah, pretty bad, really, and uh, got involved in things that were um, not good, you yeah. know, and um, people that weren't good, and, yeah, that was basically my kind of background. And So from being baptised um, and then receiving the Holy Spirit, those things I, I sort of like kept myself away from the things that would cause me me trouble. Uh, before I had Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I would try and do the right thing. I would, you know, try and sometimes make an effort to change, but 
nothing ever changed. You know, maybe I'll be I'll be good for a week or so, stop using drugs, that sort of thing. Uh, I used to be I used to enjoy fighting as well, maybe, and you know, I'd, I'd stay away from that for a week or two or whatever. And but then very quickly, I would sort of like go back into my old ways. But when I received the Holy Spirit, it was easy. I did I didn't have to try. I just I could trust in this new life that I'd been given it's a good way and to live it. the life, you know? Yeah. yeah it, was a, it was a separate life to the way that I lived before. It was a whole new way of life that didn't have these things in it anymore. And all the time that I understood that and, and lived this way of life, it was easy to just to put away all the things that I used to do. Didn't have to strive anymore. No strive, no. Yeah. yeah. Getting on to your... Um, thanks for giving us a bit of a background and then moving on to where you... Um, had a particular miracle happen in your life. Take us into that. So 2008, we were, um, we were travelling basically through Australia. We wanted to sort of see the fellowship. There were six of us in total. And, um, yeah, we booked to, to fly from Heathrow. Uh, we were going to Melbourne. Then from Melbourne, we are going to Adelaide, Adelaide to uh, Sydney, and then Sydney to, to Cairns. So we had quite, um, quite a lot of hopping around Australia. So we were just visiting the fellowships and just, you know, meeting people and just something we wanted to do. Um, it was on the 25th of July and uh, we was just a normal flight from Heathrow. Uh, we took off and we landed in Hong Kong and we've refuelled the plane there. It was a Qantas plane, uh, QF-30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, great flight. And uh, so, yeah, we've refuelled in Hong Kong. And after taking off in, in Hong Kong, we were flying about an hour into the, uh, the second part of the, the leg of the flight. And sitting there, we had, um, you know, TV on and that sort of thing. Very peaceful, nothing going on. And all of a sudden, there was this, um, there was this boom, this crack. And uh, what had happened was, well, we didn't actually know what had happened. But all the air got sucked out of the plane. And the plane kind of lumbered. And... Um, yeah, we knew that we were uh, in, a, in a spot of bother. The plane was at 29,000 feet. So something had happened to the plane. We didn't know what happened to the plane at that point. Um, all we did know was that um, there was no oxygen in the plane. Um, we could hear the engines inside the plane, the high-pitched high whistling inside the plane. And, yeah, things had changed drastically. Um, you yeah, know, all sorts of things run through your mind at that point. And, uh, yeah, we, has, we had no news from the captain except for the captain telling the cabin crew to go to live stations. And then the plane went into a very steep nosedive. So for all we knew, you know, we were going down to the South China Sea. So we, um, yeah, we just, we just prayed, prayed in tongues. And, yeah, it was a very, very kind of scary point. Um, was this your first in- instinct to, to pray in tongues or was it... Uh, at what point did you really think this could be could, could be over here? Could be yeah. Well, I think us. I think straight away you, you know that that's that's what you need to do. It was actually funny thing. I, was, I prayed and I thought I want to do everything. I think I'm going to die. You know that's what's in your mind. So I thought, well, I'm, as I'm going down, I want to be reading my, the Bible and I want to be praying and doing as much as I can to try and <laughs> you know be right with God if you like. You know. But I found that the anxiety and the stress—you couldn't, I couldn't read what was on the page. It was too, you know, it's too scary. So I put the Bible down, and, and yeah, we just, we just prayed. There were six of us. I remember turning round to, um, to look at the other saints on the plane as well, to sort of like say, you know, pray. And uh, I remember seeing everyone else was just how many yeah, other just praying how tongues. How many other saints were there? Five. There were there's four other saints, yeah. 
and my youngest daughter. Yep. Yeah, so... How yeah. old was she? She was about, maybe about seven or eight at the time. Yeah, so... She, scary. Um, scary stuff, yeah. Yep. And yeah. just to interrupt here again, uh, how long had you been uh, filled with the Spirit or, or even going to church, roughly? Yeah. That would have been then? seven years, I think. Okay. Yeah, seven years, yeah. yeah. Cool, so what then, what, after you, after you were praying... What what happened then? It was uh, you were you were nose diving, and then you were praying, and then what was next? Yeah. So we um, we descended for about maybe uh, about a minute and a half to uh, to nine thousand feet, and I remember that um, you know in the plane there all the passengers were absolutely terrified. There was like people crying, there were people you know, screaming and kids screaming. I looked over to the left-hand side of my, where we were sitting and there was a man, just tears rolling down his face. He was holding his, his child and, you know, we saw people putting passports in their pockets because they wanted to be identified if they, if they hit the deck, you know. And um, I remember a man in front of me, he was having an angina attack, which was really... That was also very stressful to see this man in, in pain in front of me, you know, so... How did you know he was having an angina? Well, I didn't know he was having an angina attack. He was in, he was in distress. He okay. was pain. He was holding his heart, and his wife was kind of, you know, trying to comfort him sort of thing, and she said, he's having an angina attack. OK, yeah. So I, I just said, well, can I pray for him? I leaned over and, and prayed for him, you know, just to try and calm things down a bit, because all the things around you are, like, it's, it's just... It's very um, stressful, you know? I can um, only imagine. Yeah, this this so, is while you're going down. This right? is while we're going down, you're yeah. You offered to pray for yeah. the man that... Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, um, it was quite, a, quite a stressful sort of time, you know. I remember kids screaming, and, uh, you know, you're sort of praying to God, and this kid was really screaming because the pain was... It was a huge pain because of the, uh, the air had been sucked out of the plane, so all the air disappears, you know. Um, and then as you're descending very quickly, the air's being forced back into your, your body, so any parts of your body that have got air spaces are now, I think they're expanding because the air is trying to get yes. back in again. Yes. So the pain is intense. It's really, really painful. I suppose this kid was um, in a lot of pain because of the, you know, the repressurization sort of thing. So in my head I said a quick prayer, you know, Lord, that's really, really stressing me out, that kind of, that child screaming. And it was amazing. I said that child just stopped screaming. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> it was just, it was just quite amazing, you know. Anyway, so this man's having an angina attack in front of me and I, I just offered to pray and he just, he was on the flight after, you know, when we landed and we got off safely and he was on the next flight in front of us. Yeah, so he was, he was, he was okay, which okay. was, which was pretty awesome. Wow. Anyway, so we were going down, we're heading down and uh, I'm getting nervous talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, take your time. Yeah. Um, take, take us through as much time as you need. Yeah, so we, um, we were going, we were heading on down and... Um, yeah, so all the air hostesses all sort of strapped in. We saw one of the one of the hostesses. She had a, some kind of panic attack, and that's when we realised that it was actually serious. quite serious. Yeah, when yep. the air hostesses, yeah, the, air hostess, panic, the, yeah. the one that's meant to be calming, the calming influence that must be. That's right. Yeah, she was she was losing. It. I remember the one in the um, the senior air hostesses said, "You've been trained for this. Remember your training. Just do what you've been told." And yeah, she just kind of like turned into kind of robot mode from that point onwards, sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So then we landed. Um, so we, we levelled out at nine thousand feet, and uh, <clears throat> for nine thousand nine thousand feet for about twenty minutes, we just dumped all the fuel out the side of the wings of the plane. So you look at the plane, you could see this stream of 
fuel just coming out of the side of the wings there. And apparently they do that because obviously they can't land with all the weight of the fuel. They yep. can take off with it, but they can't, they can't land because it's too much weight. So we kind of circled for maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just circling around, just dumping all this fuel. And uh, the captain then made the announcement that um, we're going to make an emergency landing at Manila, Manila Airport. And so um, I remember coming down and, uh, yeah, it was on the way down that the captain said, right, OK, we're going to have to... Um, we didn't have to uh, go into the brace position, which was good, but he said that um, we're going to have to use all the runway, and he said because there's other things wrong with the plane. We didn't know what was wrong with the plane anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he just said, you know, prepare yourselves. And we came in to land, and as we, as we looked, we saw the emergency vehicles all sort of lined up, you know, all their lights all flashing sort of thing, and they were just looking up and, yeah, they're just pointing at the plane, sort of like saying, well, look at that thing. You know, we didn't know what was going on at that point. And uh, so we came down, and um, we did use all the rum. I remember very, very long, sort of very long landing sort of time, you know. And the captain said, uh, we're just setting you seats for the moment because we want to make sure there's no fire if there's a fire we're going to get you out here or we're going to and otherwise we're going to taxi back to the to the airport and the the cabin mood at the moment i mean you're you're sounding like it was just a calming influence i suppose but i imagine everyone was pretty frantic and i think and pretty, when it happened tensile. when it happened there was there was gasps and yelps when the explosion happened it sounded like when, it, when the explosion actually happened, you know when you run over a loose manhole cover and you get this noise of metal, bang, bang, yeah, twice? The, yeah. It was like a bang, bang. Sometimes a speed hump. Or, speed hump, yeah. bang, bang, like the real metallic noise. And that's when everyone kind of yelped, screamed, cried and panicked sort of thing. And then for the next, um, you know, oh, till we landed basically, when we landed, everyone clapped and cheered, you know, just sort of like happy, to on, happy to be on the ground, you know. Yep. And I remember my daughter looking to me and said, I told you planes were scary. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she she was on the way down, actually, which was interesting um, because, yeah, because we thought that this was the end. I remember um, my daughter, you know, um, yeah, she, we, we, we sort of said, you know, go to sleep because it's very, very crazy. But you think if you're going to hit the ground, then you want you don't want her to be feeling it or thinking about it. So we wanted to put her to sleep so she wouldn't feel the impact or whatever. So she wouldn't even know, you know. And I remember the air hostess running over and saying, keep her awake, we need to know she's still breathing. So we had to keep her awake, you know. So there's all these things that go through your mind and all these sort of fears. And on the way down, I remember thinking, OK, I'm about to meet God now. Am I ready to meet God? And I didn't feel ready. That was one thing I remember. And um, uh, I remember thinking, well, we believe in miracles. This could be either a miracle or a tragedy. Which one would it be, you know, in my mind? So all these things are running through my mind, you know. And uh, so, amazingly enough, we, we actually we, we landed. We were safe. Everyone cheered. There was no more, you know, stress. And all we had to do is now get back into the, to the, uh, the airport lounge there and sort of breathe a sigh of relief, you know. It'd be a great... Yeah, that, that relief would be like a weight, I imagine, oh. just a feeling. Yeah, yeah. Exhilaration. Absolute yeah. exhilaration to be alive, and everybody had the same kind of feeling, I think, as well, you know. And then we walked off the plane, and um, we come into the airport lounge, and we. But I, I really thought a window had popped. That's really what I thought had happened. You thought that it was wasn't anything. Nothing too major. serious. No, nothing too big. Maybe a window had popped, or something had cracked. You know, we weren't going to see it. But we come round off of the um, 
off of the flight into the into the lounge and then we looked for the window and then we saw luggage flapping in the wind you know this big hole about the size of a, a car just in the side of the plane there and yeah it was it was kind of that's when you realized and people then started to break down in tears then because they realized well, oh this is yeah. this was big you know yeah and did you did you end up finding out what it what it was necessarily i i, I remember seeing something on the news i was probably only I can't remember how old I was, but I was young, but I remember saying it was big enough that there was something... Yeah, well, what they'd found was there was um, an oxygen cylinder that um, had somehow fractured, uh, exploded, whatever happened to it, it it actually ruptured inside the plane. So the the base of the bottle flew through the bottom of the plane and uh, it hit um, hit the side of the plane... And as it hit the side of the plane, it hit the emergency handle on the on the exit. Um, you always see that, don't you? The great big handle thing yes. that's on the side of the plane. Yeah, the air- airlock. The airlock thing that had been smashed by the bottle, and there was this. Um, I only saw that afterwards, looking for the pictures. There was this green scuff on the side of the plane, and the the handle had been smashed around to the open position. So the door actually, when you see the pictures, had been slightly opened on the top and the bottom, and. Uh, you know, I've looked into this. People could probably correct me, but apparently these doors stay closed when the engine, when the um, vehicle, when the aircraft's pressurised. But when it's depressurised, that's when it opens because that's when we need to get out. Yeah, that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the the wind, the, you know, the, basically this thing began to open because of this bottle coming through and hitting the the handle. But uh, praise the Lord, it didn't actually. It didn't open. Yeah, and it took out. All sorts of controls, the ABS, um, that's why we had to use all the runway. You took out the navigation controls to actually navigate the plane back to, uh, you know, back to the airport. And the, um, <coughs> the, the aileron controls as well. Which is what? They're the ones that operate the flaps. Okay. Which are obviously very important. When, when the plane lands and they... Use the flaps yep, and all that, yeah. Create for the, a bit of drag. That's right. Yep. But apparently the, uh, the flaps are duplicated on the left-hand side as well, so they're able to still fly the plane. But without that, we would not have been able to, to land, you know. So um, this bottle had wreaked havoc. This oxygen bottle had actually wreaked havoc on that on that right-hand side of the plane. And this bottle was in, just to be clear, this bottle was in the luggage compartment, right? Yep. So we were sitting at the rear of the uh, the wing on the right-hand side. The bottle was at the front of the re- wing on the right-hand side. And um, so this thing somehow bu- ruptured, flew through the plane. And, you know, when the masks dropped down to supply us with oxygen because we were at 29,000 feet, there was no oxygen to breathe because obviously the thing that was... That was the problem that had exploded. So, Oh, that was the oxygen tank that was, that was the providing ox- the oxygen that's in right. case of emergency. Yeah, that's right. So oh. when the things dropped down, there was nothing, there was nothing to breathe. So we were, we were without air for maybe a minute and a half or something like that, just whatever's in the plane that's left over. So it was, um, it was a, bit of a bit of a problem that was... Well, that's, that's not just a bit of a problem. That's the... Yeah. If anything else had to happen, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, this... Um, it was pretty catastrophic, and apparently, you know, that there's been people looking into this, and they, um, if something explodes on the side of a plane and, and cracks a fuselage, then just because the, the plane is at 29,000 feet and it's going 500 miles an hour, there's a there's a, a process that happens where the the hull starts to peel back, you know, the side of the plane starts to peel back because of the speed of the aircraft and it's lost its viscosity, the pressure. Um, I think it's the right word for it. <laughs> Not sure, but uh, we, un- we understand what you're saying. That the uh, pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, so the pressure's gone, and 
apparently this um, you know this process happens where it starts to peel back on the side of the plane there. So it was um, and that didn't happen. It didn't happen. No, no. It was just a great big hole um, you could see when you looked out. So. You've taken us into from the first initial bang to landing. How, how long? What, what sort of space of time did all this happen in? From what I can remember, I read the report. It was about a minute and a half to descend to nine thousand feet. So you do have a bit of time to think about, you know, life. And so you're on the way down. And so um, often think about if you have, a, you know, have a, an accident in a car, it's very quick. Um, sometimes you're not very well and, you know, things are going to maybe get a bit worse for you. You know, you kind of think time to put things right in your life or you think about things, you know. And, but when you're in a plane and you're strapped into a seat and you're going down, it takes about two minutes. There's lots of things that run through your mind. And um, we were heading down for around about yeah, about two minutes there, and then about 15 minutes circling, and then we sort of like number five minutes to, to land. So it's about half an hour to really consider, you know, just things in life, you know, just think about your life in general. And in that time, you managed to pray for someone who was suffering an right. angina attack. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you also prayed that the uh, screaming kid would be quiet. Yep, and that, <laughs> that, was, that happened. <laughs> and look after your daughter at the same time. Yep attempt to get her to sleep which she weren't allowed to do yeah 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 so easy you know even you know we're born again we're saved we have the holy spirit we we've you know walking with god but um sometimes i think you know these sort of things come along and you you do you do look at your life as well you know you realize that I often say that um you know I don't, in my office i had a um an in and out tray it's a post coming in post coming out very active you know things working you know working on things mm. and then you have a to-do list and things you kind of just leave you know and I've, I've got many of them to-do lists yeah and I think one of the things that I learned from the situation is that um, uh, the Bible talks about uh, things that we need to keep on top of in our, in our own personal lives and not to leave those things on a to-do list you know, just to kind of look after your walk in the Lord, and make sure you you look into it always, and you know, and, and trust in the Lord, and not letting things get dry. And you know, it's a good it's a good thing to to sort of remember for me. You know, all the time. That's a good lesson. And and do you think that God may be giving you an opportunity, perhaps, to retract back onto your to do list, or is that is that what you're saying? Or no, no. What I think was that it it was something that happened, and. Um, I used it to kind of learn a bit of lesson for myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so yeah, it kind of remo- I remind myself constantly that you know things can happen, so it's good to to keep yourself in a good place with with God. Which uh, goes back to one of the parables about the uh, the foolish and and wise virgins and the keeping your lamps trimmed. Mm-hmm. It says keeping your lamps topped up because yep. the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Well, that that might not be a direct correlation to your testimony the the principle is virtually the same there isn't it that's right yeah is there anything else that you particularly drew from that aside from the obvious that drew from that particular experience i'm sure naturally there would have been a fair bit don't fly with Qantas perhaps i'm not sure but uh (laughs) they were really good actually Yeah. yeah i'm sure they're great yeah but yeah was there anything else that you that you've really you know from then have used it to remind yourself Aside, aside from what you've already mentioned about the, the to-do list? Yeah, there's one thing really, I suppose, that really um, I've really taken from it is that, um, you know, when, when we're born again, when we're baptised, we actually baptise into his death and our life isn't our own anymore. 
and we serve the Lord and the Lord blesses us and looks after us and takes care of all the things that we need to be taken care of and um, I, I understand that but also I remind myself that I, I could be dead and so I'm on the Lord's tick I'm, I'm living my life on the Lord's account if you like Mm. and so my life really isn't my own life and it's a good way to kind of actually see it in a practical sense you know you, you can remind yourself that yeah we've got an amazing life to come we can live an amazing life now we serve the Lord now and it's a life that's very very full it's a full life and God blesses our lives and um, you know if we can sort of associate baptism as being a, a death um that's the way it works if we can really see that that is you know that's us putting our old life away and then serving the lord with a, a life that's dedicated to him and his 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 church you know his his um building his uh his kingdom you know um it it really works for me you know i kind of see that and understand that that's that's what we we're really called to do you know so you know i, I could be fish food i should be fish food you know the lord kept me alive for a purpose and I kind of have to try. And, I, I remind myself all the time that you know that's you know that's why I'm, that's why we're here and that's why I'm here, sort of thing. I think you've put that really well. Uh, I don't necessarily need to add anything there. I think you've really summed that up well. I was going to mention before it was really cool to hear your testimony, which was, as you said, over a, a long period of time. But the, the main part was really in that initial downfall, and and from there, the way that you spelled it out was quite calm and relaxed, I suppose and all your thought processes, but things would have been a lot more frantic than what you are portraying them now, obviously, after the fact. But, yeah, yeah I really liked hearing how, you know, how you spelled everything out. This is exactly what was going on. Looked around, saw people screaming, kicking and screaming. As I said before, the, the heart problems, the uh, having your daughter there, having other saints around, and that your first instinct is to pray and even try and read the Bible for, for what it was worth. <laughs> Yeah. What was the actual date of that crash? Um, 25th of July, which is actually my wedding anniversary. <laughs> there you go. Funnily enough, yeah. Um, if people were wanting to, I'm sure that they could probably Google images. I'm sure that there's yep. still images circling around if anyone was listening and they wanted to have a look for themselves. I'm sure that there was yep. maybe even an article or two, I'm not sure. There is, yeah. I believe in actually in Australia, I think I've heard that there's actually a National Geographic... Um, you know, they, they do these uh, air crash investigations. Oh, yeah, OK. I think there's one on that one somewhere in Australia so you can look that up and if you look yeah. up Qantas QF30 exploding cylinder you can find that sort of thing there probably wouldn't have been too many of them <laughs> yeah yeah they can, you can find that on, on there yeah so yeah just have a, have a look for yourself also the um, Australian incident the uh, aircraft uh, the aircraft incident um, board bureau if you uh, yes. google that as well you'll find if you put in the details of the, of the flight you can, you can read all about it for yourself just to finish off um, have you got a favourite scripture one of my favourite scriptures is actually um, Psalm 46, verse 1. It's, um, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And this is the one that I used when I, um, I brought some preachers and did a few presentations around the place. And this is something that came to mind shortly after it happened, is that um, no matter what the trouble is, um, whether it's big trouble or small trouble, uh, the Lord says he's a very present help he's not just a little bit present he's very present mm. so we can understand and trust that um, no matter what happens he's there you know Amen. he's there to deliver us from whatever the situation is big or small yep awesome on that note no problems we'll leave it there thanks Dan no worries son. thank you very much cheers mate
Hey, a big thank you to Simon in WA for doing our guest interviews and Stephen for helping with the recordings. And a big thank you to Dan for sharing his wonderful testimony of how God has worked in his life. Hey, listeners, don't forget to review and rate us on your favourite podcast app so we can get the word out there. And thanks for tuning in. And until next time, God bless.